Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that can, continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for your grace and your love, your confidence, conviction, hope, faith. These are the things that we live by. We are so very grateful for them. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for our prototype who died on the cross 2,000 years ago to make even this evening a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, Salvation, Sanctification, Part 44. Tonight is uh, a departure, not totally, but a little bit. It's a what I'd call a balanced statement lesson. And guess what the topic the Spirit wants to talk about is? Predestination. So we have a balanced statement on this topic of predestination. To me, predestination is a very rewarding study in the sense that um, it gives us that big picture perspective. It gives us, um, brings us back to things like hope, eternal life, you know, the gospel reality, why, uh, you know, why we're left here on earth after salvation, et cetera, et cetera. So this is all good stuff. Um, for the past several lessons, we've opened up with this topic of predestination, uh, but at a very practical level. One particular area that certainly makes it very real is the area of suffering. So he gave us an emphasis on suffering, that we were predestined to suffer as believers. So here's one very important point to remember on that. <clears throat> Up here on the board, we have a prototype. We call him our predestination prototype. Jesus Christ himself was predestined to suffer undeservedly. We learn that in Acts 4, 27 to 4, 28. Again, he was predestined as well, being a human being, to suffer undeservedly. We concluded then that suffering is a blessing, and we had a larger principle up here on the board on the topic of suffering under the premise of predestination. Jesus' suffering was a blessing to him, using Hebrews 12:2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We believers are called the same way to suffer for Christ's sake. For example, for the gospel. Quote, for to you it has been granted, that's that Greek word, charizomai, suffering is a grace gift, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29, and we did all that good work in expanding that and relating it to other principles and other passages of Scripture. But again, the point on the board is that if Jesus was, then we are, in the same way, in the likeness of him, predestined to suffer. And that is a, certainly a, a, a wonderful way to approach the doctrine of predestination. brings a lot of things home at the practical level because who here can't identify with some suffering in their life. So one important conclusion of all of our work on predestination is, up here on the board, by grace you were predestined to suffer for Christ's sake. And that is a grace gift. That's why we went, I took you to the original language, as I just noted. 
that you were predestined to suffer for Christ's sake. So you have a purpose. Remember, any time predestination comes up, that was another principle from Sunday's lesson. There's a purpose in view. Predestination always carries with it the purpose of God. Now, as promised, tonight's lesson is a balance statement to all the groundwork we did on suffering. Namely, tonight's lesson is focused on the other side of predestination grace. So, suffering isn't the only facet of predestination, in other words. There's another facet. If you like to carve it in two pieces, up here on the board, you were predestined to prosper as well. It's not all suffering, it's also prosperity. And that's just one way to carve out two halves of predestination. You know, in some ways you can argue you're prospering, in some ways you're arguing that you're suffering, and that's just two ways to look at it. The opposite of suffering. You were predestined to prosper for Christ's sake. Only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted, and this is the balance statement that he wants to give us, that it's one thing to know that you are going to prosper as well, as part of his plan for your life. It's part of his will to prosper you. But you have to figure out, and I believe this with all my heart, that this country, one of the pitfalls of living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, is that our definition of prosperity is perverted. And everything to us is really about this kind of prosperity that this country offers us. And it shouldn't. It's just uh, pervasive in our society. So many people, even Christians, say, well, look at me. God loves me because he prospered me out. God must love me then more than the person who is a believer in some destitute third world country then. Is that what I'm saying? No. But yet you would think, based on the arguments that Christian lives make, that that's the doctrine that we should uphold or cling to. So this evening we're going to talk about prosperity. And it is part of your predestination, but you've got to get it right. So again, by grace you are predestined to prosper, not just suffer, for Christ's sake. Only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. Proverbs 16, 11, John 4, 36 to 38, Romans 6, 20 to 22, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 21, Revelation 3, 18 to 21. The very first thing a person must realize is that God's scale of values, God's scale of values, you know, think of that scale, the thing where you put gold on this side and something else on this side, or, you know, some measurement device on this side and whatever it is you're trying to measure on this side, that's a scale. We must understand that God's scale of values is completely different than the world's. Nonetheless, the scales are the ones that we need to learn about and adhere to when we go to this, quote, market called life. Go to Proverbs 16.11. Proverbs 16.11. So right out of the gate, if we're going to talk about prosperity and the fact that we are predestined to prosper, then we must understand what Scripture has to say about prosperity. Well, anytime there's a measurement on that subject, you have to understand the scale of values. 
In other words, if I take a, if I take the Hope Diamond, does everybody know what that is? I believe that's still the largest diamond. If I take the Hope Diamond to an, to a man who's been in the desert for two weeks without any food or water, well, you know, struggling, hardly any food or water. I forget what exactly, I think water's three days. Okay, so he's been out there three days, he's on his deathbed. And I have the Hope Diamond. And I say, isn't this wonderful? I'm going to give this to you for nothing. Does he really care? No. His scale of values is, I need to live first. That's worthless to me. I need something that gives me life. Think about the Word of God. I need sustenance. I need spiritual, eternal life. That's the sustenance I'm after. Why should it matter? The situation uh, that you're in, whether you're in this country or that country or what have you, we need to understand the scale of values that God adheres to. Proverbs 16:11, a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. So you might put on, you know, like they used to do in the old days, paint pebbles or pieces of wood gold or whatever the chips were that were typically used to offset the balance in the marketplace. Counterfeit weights, in other words. Well, a just balance and scales belongs to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. So you have to make sure that whatever you're using to assess and evaluate prosperity in your life, whatever it is on the other side of the scale, whatever you're using to measure prosperity, it better be God's weights and from his bag, if you would, of weights. And it better be his scale. That's called integrity to the word or integrity to truth. One of the worst perversions of Christianity today is what has been dubbed the prosperity gospel. I mean, there are whole, I don't want to call them denominations, but whole systems of thinking that say, you know, that whole send me a thousand dollars and you know you'll get it tenfold and they bring up the verse that says you know give it this way you'll get tenfold back this whole thing and it's garbage it's just someone trying to make money it's sordid gain so one of the worst perversions of christianity is what has been dubbed the prosperity gospel even in a nutshell it's that false supposition that god's will for his children is to prosper them by world's standards for example, money, jobs, fleshly achievements, etc., etc. That is not, if you look closely at the Word of God, that is not how he wants to prosper his children. He may give them those things to prove a point. He may give them those things so that they can evangelize people in a certain circle of their life. But it's very slippery slope, and we'll get into this. So let's shed some light on prosperity which looks nothing like the perversion I just mentioned. Again, we're trying to see the other side. We looked at predestination and suffering. Now we're looking at predestination and prosperity. The true, quote, prosperity gospel, if there is such a thing, if we want to use that language, the prosperity gospel, well, then we better get prosperity right. The false doctrine that God prospers with worldly riches as a reward for righteousness is really a slippery, perversion of truth. 
I hear that an awful lot from people, and I see it in their lives. People that are claiming that God has blessed them out with worldly riches because they're somehow more righteous than they were yesterday or they're more righteous than the person next door or the person down the street or the relatives or what have you. That's a false doctrine. So again, the false doctrine that God prospers with worldly riches as a reward for righteousness is really a slippery perversion of truth. Prosperity is not measured in worldly riches, rather eternal wealth. Besides, both unrighteous and righteous receive worldly prosperity. Both righteous and unrighteous receive worldly prosperity. So that one-to-one establishment that people like to use when they're teaching something like the prosperity gospel, or if they're trying to uh, you know, assemble some kind of false doctrine in their own soul so that they can justify continuing an ungodly life or what have you, pick your poison, is garbage. So again, the false doctrine that God prospers with worldly riches as a reward for righteousness is really a slippery perversion of truth. Prosperity is not measured in worldly riches, rather eternal wealth. Besides, both unrighteous and righteous receive worldly prosperity. There are presumably a lot of believers out there under the impression that, let's just say, let's call it doing righteousness, is really more about protecting or even increasing their worldly assets than realizing why God may have provided them to them. Again, let me say this again. There are presumably a lot of believers out there under the impression that doing righteousness is really more about protecting or even increasing their worldly assets than realizing why God may have provided them to them, if it was even God. In other words, they're hedging bets. They say, if I do righteousness, then God will bless me out. I really want that new house, that new car, that new job, so I'm going to go to church more often. I'm going to do more for the elderly. I'm going to call my mom more and tell her I love her more. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to whatever, you know, pick your thing. And that's a false doctrine. What they're really doing is saying, God, I'm going to put you on a treadmill and I'm going to do righteousness so that you can protect my assets, my worldly assets, or maybe even increase them. And that has nothing to do with why God may have provided any assets to them in the first place. So we're going to consider again an old friend, the parable of the ten miners. Uh, And this time I want you to focus on a few other things than we've normally done in the past. They're all related, but we're going to look at things slightly different this evening. I'm going to ask you four questions, and I'm not going to answer them for you. I'm going to let the Spirit answer them in your own soul. But here is the battery of questions again. The scale of values in the parable of the ten miners. First question, who originally owns the miners? Second, what do, what do the miners represent? Third, what is the purpose of doing business? Fourth, what is the nature of the rewards for his stewards or slaves? So those are the four questions that we want to sort of address. This is a very familiar parable for most of you but we've not attacked it this way. And this evening, again, we're trying to discover what the Bible has to say about predestination and prosperity. 
Go to Luke 19.12. Luke 19.12. So we're going to use this old, comfortable parable. Hopefully, again, most of you are very comfortable with it. Most of you probably could regurgitate the scene by heart. But remember, it's about perspective, folks. Even since the last time we studied this, we've been given additional perspective that when we take that with us, then this might shine new light on an old friend. Luke 19.12, so he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return, this would be our Lord, of course, and he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten miners and said to them, do business with this until I come back. So at this point, we already have the answers to the first two questions up here on the board. <clears throat> Who originally owns the miners? Well, that's Jesus. And what do the miners represent? Grace. So Jesus says, do business with my grace while I'm away. And we're all pretty much familiar with that. Okay? So who originally owns the miners? Jesus does, the master. What do the miners represent? Grace. Okay? Verse 14. <clears throat> but his citizens, those are the unbelieving Jews in context, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, kingdom, he ordered that the slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. I mean, that's what a master would do. He would hand over assets to slaves so that they could increase those assets, put labor into the assets so that the assets would increase. That's how you even take a farm. And you put labor into the farm and out pops a crop. Okay? You can pick your analogy, but that's what's going on with grace. Okay? He says, I'm going to give you, let's bring in the main parable, which is the parable of the sower and the seeds. I'm going to give you seed to plant. Go sow it. Think of the Great Commission. Go sow it. It's my seed. Go sow it. And I'm going to come back and we're going to see how you did. And some of you are going to do, have done nothing, and some are going to have done a lot. But it's his seed, you understand? And, it's, and we're doing business as slaves for our master. So here we have the answer, at least the introduction to the third question up here on the board, which was, what is the purpose of doing business? It's really a test of faith. Evaluation based on his scale of values. In other words, what did you have faith in? What did you do with that life I gave you? Well, I thought you gave me the XYZ possessions. I thought that's what this was all about. I thought prosperity was I would go to church and you would bless me out with things that I want. He's like, my greatest desire is that people are saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's my greatest desire. Not so you can run around in a Lamborghini. That's not my desire. Do you understand? And, but that's the treadmill that I would, 
I hate to say it this way, and maybe I'm out of line, but I don't think so. The average American believer is on. That's why the question, why are you here tonight? Ask, seriously, ask yourself that question. Why are you here tonight? Are you afraid that God's going to rob you of some blessing that you've got all lined up nice and you don't want God to screw it up on you? I'm really close for that promotion. I don't want to screw this up. I don't want God to set me back five years. Are you hedging bets? Or is this truly about doing business with his grace? So what's the purpose of doing business? It really is a test of faith. It's an evaluation based on his scale of values. And that's how we started off this evening. To do business with his grace, you have to understand what his scale of values is. For believers in the church age, this evaluation will come at the judgment seat of Christ. Now think about that. Think of your so-called goals and aspirations right now. And think about how you might be or have been historically assigning them to Jesus Christ himself, your master. And then ask, you're going to be asked that question individually at the Bema seat. How'd you do business with my grace? Well, I took what you gave me and I spent it on myself. thought that's what you wanted. I just told everybody else, I go to church, I get blessed out. No, that was Satan, quote unquote, giving you things from the world. Hmm. So there's going to be a lot of people at the Bema seat under this evaluation that are going to be scratching their heads because they were under the presumption that the world's scale of values, and this is where, where it's so tricky for Americans because we're a prosperous nation, that the world's scale of values were actually his, but they weren't. And when he tried to teach them that they weren't, they didn't want to hear it because it was more comfortable to keep the world's. So for believers in the church age, this evaluation will come at the judgment seat of Christ, a.k.a. the Bema seat after the rapture, up here on the board. <clears throat> so we have this idea. We're going to talk about prosperity. Remember what the, the Spirit's doing here. He's got us talking about predestination and prosperity. Evaluation under God's scale of values. So ask yourselves, exactly what, exactly what will be evaluated? The fact that you amassed material wealth or that you amassed spiritual eternal wealth? For example, shared the mind of Christ, evangelized, witnessed, etc. And when I say shared the mind of Christ, I mean in your own head. You shared his mind. That's true wealth. So you have to ask yourselves, which is the cause for reward by God? Is God going to reward you because you amassed material wealth? Or is he going to reward you because you amassed spiritual, eternal wealth? He's the master, you're the slave. He said, go do business with my grace. They're his scale of values, they're his bag of weights. What did you do? You were predestined to prosper. That's his desire. But you have a free will, so you can screw it up a bit. 
So ask yourself exactly what. That's the big question. That's why it's in capitals. Ask yourself, pretend right now that you got, the rapture happened like right now. And there you sit, right before Christ himself, alone. And he says, how'd you do business? And you say, well, I did this. No, 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 no. That's all wood, hay, and straw. How'd you do business with my grace? That's all, that's all material wealth. That doesn't count. That's all garbage. Poof. I want spiritual, eternal wealth. What do you have of that? Because that's my scale of values. And you see this, this, the, you see this little popper over here? The one with the crooked leg? Well, he wouldn't have it, but you know what I'm saying. The one that had a crooked leg? You see this guy over here? The one who was born with nothing? And died of poverty by the time he was 22. Look at how much fruit that guy had. He wouldn't do that, but you get the point. There is going to be a certain shame, so I don't know how he's going to pull that off, but you get the point. Are you saying you had more than him? I say no. And that's the question, the deeply rooted thing that you have to get out of your soul if it's there. If you are still clinging to the world's scale of values, if you think prosperity has anything to do with any of the niceties that you get in this country, you are mistaken. The true wealth, I'm not saying God can't bless you out with a little, you know, because look at, you know, but, but it's always what you think of the thing, not the thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the true wealth. The things you will receive rewards for. That's what you have to keep your eye on. That's what will be evaluated at the Bema seat. So ask yourselves exactly what will be evaluated. And transport yourself right now as if you got raptured right now and you were standing before Christ. What would be evaluated? The fact that you amass material wealth or that you amass spiritual, eternal wealth. Things like shared the mind of Christ, evangelized, witnessed, etc. You know, living for others. Which is the cause for reward by God? Hold your thumb, go to 1 Corinthians 3.12. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3.12. So we're all going to show up there at the Bema seat and be evaluated. And we may not like what he has to say. We, we might want to say, but you, you, no, 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 use my scale in my bag of weights. And you're going to say, that's garbage. You get that from the world. That might work down there, but that don't work up here in heaven. We're going to use my scale. Uh-oh. So 1 Corinthians 3.12, Now if any man build in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains after it's tested with fire, that's an analogy that's used more than once in Scripture, this fire, which means testing. If any man's work which he has built on it remains he will receive a reward. So you have to think of it that way. He will receive 
a reward. And this echoes back to the parable of the ten miners, as we'll see. In other words, the true rewards come the same way they come to the slave who does business with the miners. After the test is passed, after the evaluation, so to speak, again, the point of the board is ask yourselves exactly what will be evaluated. The fact that you amassed material wealth or that you amassed spiritual, eternal wealth. And then which is the cause for reward by God? Well, the, the material wealth is basically wood, hay, and straw. Poof. It's not what you have. It's what you think of what you have. So that stuff's all poof. It's all gone. You, is anybody here going to take their $100 Benji to heaven with them? Anybody? People have tried it and say, bury me in my Cadillac. What for? You're not taking it if you're going. So what do you think you're going to take with you? What assets are you going to take with you? Those are the assets that will be evaluated. The rest is garbage. The rest is um, instruments. Even like this church. This church is not going to be in heaven. This church is an instrument. It's something that he provided to us so that we could meet this way, to facilitate something much greater. Your job, your money, your everything. It's just a facility, but it's not going to be anything worth evaluating at the Bema seat, if that makes sense. He's going to say, what did you do with my grace? That's the difference. The next several verses describe the evaluation and the response from the Lord. Go back to Luke 19.15. Luke 19.15. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. So that's basically the, you know, his, him coming back. The first appeared saying, Master, your miners has made ten miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You see that? The miners are little things. If you, because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you ought to be in authority over ten cities. That's the reward. So authority here represents something shared that is worth much more than the miners, which are merely the means by which the testing of faith is carried out. The reward here is the authority, correct? He says, I'm going to give you authority then over ten cities. To the degree you did business with my grace, I'm going to reward you. So authority here represents something shared that is worth much more than the miners, which are merely the means by which the testing of faith is carried out. Authority in the millennium is considered a wonderful grace gift. Up here on the board, more in authority. Authority represents responsibility. Position is merely a function or a functional lever within an established organization, a link in the chain of command. Godly servants focus on responsibility, whereas ungodly servants, if given the chance, focus on position. 
again, authority represents responsibility. Position is merely a functional lever within an established organization or link in the chain of command. In other words, if, if Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you authority over ten cities, it's mine to grant, and you're going to be in my chain of command. You're going to be that much closer to me, and you're going to have that much more responsibility given to you. That's an honor to serve your master that way. That's the great reward, to serve him all the more. That's the difference between a godly person who says, I want a position so that I can serve. An ungodly person says, I want a position for the position's sake. It's like the cop who wears the badge but is crooked, is the ungodly one. Or the other one that's willing to jump in front of a bullet as part of their responsibility. And they could care less about you know, what people think necessarily or how people esteem him because of his uniform. So position is merely a functional level within an established organizational link in the chain of command. Godly servants focus on responsibility, whereas ungodly servants, if given the chance, focus on position. In other words, the type of person alive today that sees the phrase, you are to be in authority over ten cities, and says to themselves, awesome, I get all that power. Well, that's the same person who never receives it. Because God sees the heart. However, the person who says in their heart, what a wonderful opportunity for increased servanthood, that is the person who will actually hold these positions in the kingdom. And that is a major principle, folks, in this parable. So you need to dwell on that. Dwell on the rewards and what is going to be evaluated. If you were to be raptured right now and you stood before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ right now, what would be evaluated? Would you try to throw in some of your worldly things, the things that the people to your left and right esteem you, even in a church? Would you? But look at this awesome Corvette I got. Oh, look at my new hair plugs. Oh, look at my new pumps. Oh, look at my new sneakers or whatever the heck it is you think and have been attributing your righteousness in terms of receiving rewards to. So this is a major principle in this parable, folks. Let's finish out the parable to, for the sake of completion, of course. Verse 18, the second came saying, your minor master has made five minors, and he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, master, here is your minor, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man? Take up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. And they said to him, Master, he has ten miners already. I tell you, to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. 
That's just the parable is basically saying, listen, you know, I'm going to give you grace to work with, and you're going to have to do business with it. But if you trade it in for worldly prosperity, I'm going to take it away from you. Up here on the board, more shall be given. The critical question is, more of what? <laughs> Another Corvette? Another set of pumps? What is it that you think is being evaluated? What is it that you think about his grace, about his scale of values? What is it that you think? So the critical question is, more of what? Everybody likes to receive stuff, but more of what? If you think it's worldly prosperity, you are sadly mistaken. More refers to grace on God's pristine scale of values, not man's. Grace has nothing to do with the things that man esteems. Nothing. The Word of God says dogmatically, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So nothing that the world assigns value to, strictly speaking, has any real value in God's scale of values. That's what Satan tries to do. He tries to get you to start functioning on perverted definitions. Prosperity is a huge one, especially in a prosperous nation. Especially when you've got perverted people behind pulpits with the prosperity gospel, pumping garbage into the souls of individuals. Verse 27, but these enemies of mine, unbelievers, Jews are in context, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So there's our final question being answered up here on the board. What is the nature of the rewards for his stewards in the parable? Shared service with the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Look, the only reason you're in this church, don't believe me, read uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 when you go home, is so that you can be equipped to do the service of your master. How many of you would come to this church? I'm, I, I'm, I'm, we've had this discussion, DJ. The pulpit has never changed. I mean, we've gone through our iterations and our, you know, we've matured. But the, if I was to move this pulpit back to the strip mall, it'd be a lot harder to get people to come through the front door. Why? Because they're disgusting. They think that it actually has to do it. Oh, that's my church, the pretty one up on the hill. <laughs> God loves me, that's my church. How many people will say, my church is in a hovel in the woods. My church is the one with the crooked smokestack. Mine's the one with the crazy Chinaman next door with his walk, beating the crap out of his egg foo young. Right? That's my church. No, you've got a bunch of pompous jackasses that have gone through this church, and I've seen every single one of them, and I've watched them come, and I've watched them go. I've had looked at my clock and said, that won't take very long, and they're gone. Why? Same problem. They're not interested in being equipped for the service of their master. 
It's all part of their own scale of values, you see. They go to churches because they're ornate. They listen to pastors even sometimes. It just tickles their ears. What if I showed up in a, in a uh, well, I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to go there because it might be ugly visuals for some. I don't want anybody to be sick. Still got 20 minutes left. The point is, what is the nature of the rewards for his stewards? The answer is shared service with the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. That's why you have anything. That's why you're still breathing. That's why we call it the Great Commission. Your job is to get the gospel out, to live. If you're not speaking it, you're living it. That's the idea. That's the livelihood, the strength, the everything that is the gospel. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's who I am. It's all I want to know. I just want to know about Christ. Take your material crap. Get out of it. I can live with it. I can live without it. Who cares? It doesn't even matter anyway. It has nothing to do with anything. Unless it helps me what? Live more for my master. If my master says, I'm going to give you ten and I'm going to give you one, then I have more responsibility with the ten than the one, don't I? You bet. But most people, believers even, who get ten, go, look at me. I must be better. I must be more righteous than the person with one. I got so fired up, I got a heart palpitation. I'm serious. It went away. All right, let's go back to where we started with this up here on the board. Grace, you were predestined to prosper for Christ's sake. Only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. Proverbs 16.11, scale of values. We just looked at some other stuff. The point we just developed through the parable of the ten miners was that God's scale of values is completely different than the world's. That's what we just saw. Proverbs 16.11. A just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Said in the Amplified, a just balance and honest scales are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his concern. Established by his, guess what? Eternal principles. Eternal principles. Hence the previous Warning up here on the board, the true prosperity gospel, the false doctrine that God profit, prospers with worldly riches as a reward for righteousness is really a slippery perversion of truth. He may do that, just to flirt with you or whatever, you know, make you smile a little bit, but that's, there's no lasting anything to a bank account. Prosperity is not measured in worldly riches, rather eternal wealth. Besides, both unrighteous and righteous receive worldly prosperity. Up here on the board, there are presumably a lot of believers out there under the impression that doing righteousness is really more about protecting their worldly assets than really or realizing why God may have provided them to them. All right, let's finish up with this principle again. We're still working out this balance statement in our souls. 
You were, by grace, you were predestined to prosper for Christ's sake. Only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. Go to John 4.36. John 4.36. Talk about our great commission. John 4.36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Up here on the board, grace orientation. Is your purpose for working hard so that you can benefit or others? I mean, he does say do business, right? I mean, it is, there is a doing and not just hearing who, be a hero who deludes themselves, as James would say. So ask yourself, we are joint laborers, right? Life, we suffer, we persevere, we're persecuted, we go through trials and tribulations, right? This ain't always easy, Amen. Amen. What are you doing it for? Seriously, what are you doing it for? So you can put more chips on your scale, your perverted scale? Or is there any eternal value to the things that you're working so hard for? What's the eternal value? Remember, rapture right now. What's the eternal value of that thing you were doing down there all that time, you were spending all your time doing? What's the eternal value, says Christ to you in front of the Bema seat? What were you doing by there? What was it that you're trying to sell me up here? Yeah, that's real. He's going to ask, you think I ask tough questions? He's going to ask all the tough questions. And you can't pretend with him. He's going to say, what were you really doing right there? Oh, I was lie. <laughs> you say, you won't be able to because you'll, you know, you'll be resurrected. But you get the point, right? That's the point, though. I mean, if you was, you know, theoretically, if you was to come right now, pre-rapture, Jesus, right? What were you doing today? What'd you do for me today? I was all for you. No, I, I totally did it for you. Jesus was gonna happen. You, I worked really hard to prosper, and then. Five year, I'm on a five-year plan. Five years from now, when I got that, when I'm a vice president, then I'm going to give a bunch to the church. We're going to have a nice pavilion over there. You know, we're gonna, this place is not, oh, we're going to pay the church off as soon as I get mine. As soon as I get mine. And he'll see right through it. He'll say, what do you mean as soon as you get yours? I can take you out tomorrow if I wanted to. So you have to ask yourself, is your purpose for working hard so that you can benefit or others? 1 John 3, 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So that's a fair question, right? We're talking about grace. We're talking about prosperity. Why does God prosper you? If you're supposed to live for others, why do you think he prospers you? Read, uh, I want to say it's Luke 6.38 when you get home tonight. Given, it shall be given to you, poured out onto your lap. We're supposed to be conduits for grace, not hoarders of it. 
That's what the guy with the mason jar did. Thought you were an exacting man, Lord, so I buried it in the backyard. So is your purpose for working hard so that you can benefit or others? If you understand Christ's heart, the answer is obvious. For he's the one who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus also reminds us that others evangelized us. Thank God. Look at verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Aren't you glad that somewhere along the line someone was in the path of evangelizing you? Some of you have the craziest stories, right? I was evangelized in a ditch. Some people, I have friends, I was evangelized in prison. I was evangelized when I was just growing up. I was evangelized when I was 65 by a dude at a bus stop. I was, aren't you glad that God was working with eternally weighted things of value through the bum who evaluated you or who evangelized you? Aren't you glad that person wasn't preoccupied with themselves at that moment in time? Weren't you glad? And then what would you do? You ran off and made a world of your own. You see? Nonetheless, our current principle, you were predestined to prosper for Christ's sake only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. Next, go to Romans 6.20. Romans 6.20. I mean, this is his plan. Think of, you know, salvation, sanctification is one unity, one concept, remember. Romans 6.20. Four. Romans 6.20. For when you were slaves... For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, there's our current study, of course, and the outcome, eternal life. So if salvation and sanctification are to be thought of as unity, for they are in God's eyes, then consider the fact that eternal life is something mapped directly to both of these realities. You are delivered, in a sense, to eternal life. To borrow from that visual we established over the course of the past few lessons, you are delivered this way to eternal life. Life. He saves you from sin. He sanctifies you to righteousness. He saves you from sin. He sanctifies you from righteousness. All three tenses, all three phases, same movement, same base definition for deliverance. That's the outcome, eternal life. In other words, up here on the board, grace, life, and Christ Living the gospel reality, a la Romans 1, 16 and 17, means living in eternal life from the time you are saved on. Is that your perspective this evening? Was that your perspective today when you were chasing after the next carrot in your life, when you were trying to self-sanctify, when you were doing things as unto self as opposed to as unto others? 
Was that your perspective? Was that doing business? Were you doing business? Were you being prospered by him or the world? And what prosperity were you after? Whose scale of values were you using? Living the gospel reality means living in eternal life from the time you are saved on. All right, pressing on. Same principle. By grace you are predestined to prosper again. This is the balance statement against suffering. For Christ's sake, only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. Go to Revelation 3.18. Revelation 3.18. That's what the Spirit is saying. The prosperity in the Bible that's emphasized is the things that have eternal weight, folks. That's what we're after, and that's what he gives us, grace upon grace. Remember, I taught that from the pulpit probably four or five years ago using this same parable. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Revelation 3.18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed in the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This richness that the Lord is alluding to here has nothing to do with your bank account. has nothing to do with your bank account. Verse 19, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That just about completes our thought on this principle on the board, that by grace you were predestined to prosper for Christ's sake. Only the prosperity emphasized in the Bible is eternally weighted. We'll get through as much as the next one. I saved one, if you noticed. I skipped 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 21 because that's our connective tissue back to our primary course of study. So we've got one more passage that will tie these thoughts back to our current course of study, which is salvation and sanctification as a single thought. Go to 1 Timothy 6, 6. There's a long passage and a lot to say, so we'll get through what we can, and then we'll pick up on Thursday. And I hope you know what the Spirit's saying. Truth, truth, honestly. I mean, it's the same tact he took with suffering. He said, make sure that you have grace appropriated correctly in your soul, right? Make sure that you understand what kind of suffering you're suffering. Make sure you understand where my grace is coming into the scene and what I'm trying to do with you. Well, the same occurs with prosperity. He says, make sure that it's my grace and not a false grace. Make sure you understand that I'm gracing you out for a purpose in that way, to bring glory to me, not so you can hoard it and make it your own. And then do this weird double-minded dipsukos thing. One foot in the world, one foot in, my, in the word. One foot in the world, one foot in the word. And you run down the middle. And you say, this is awesome. I'm 
so-called prospering in God's land that I'm prospering in, my, in the world's land. This is, I'm just such a fantastic cat, ain't I? I'm amazing. I amaze myself sometimes how wonderful I am, how skilled I am at doing that thing that the Word says I cannot do. It says you're going to hate the one and love the other or vice versa. You can't serve God and wealth. That's the Word of God. So that concept cannot take root in your soul. And if it's in your soul right now and you're having a problem with it, too bad. That means you're a punk. That means you're a jackass. That means you have prosperity. You need a swift kick in the butt. Because you live in this ridiculously prosperous nation and you're nothing but a spoiled, entitled little brat. And then you want to blame God for your problems. God doesn't make your problems. He's not the author of evil. He said, I'm going to give you certain things so that you can go do business with them. And the average American believer goes, this is awesome. I'm just going to go invest in my bank account. I'm going to do this. Thank you for salvation, by the way, but I'll take it from here, Galatians 3, 3. And boom, 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 boom. God loves me because he keeps prospering me out. I don't know what that bald guy is talking about, how Satan could possibly prosper me out because... Look at me, I go to church every day, I say all the right things, I use the right language. Am I making sense here? It's really quiet in here. Really quiet in here. Can you imagine if, now this is you guys, can you imagine if I taught this to the average church? I'd probably be run out of Dodge. Right? I'm serious. This is serious business, folks. And you may think, I don't know what some of you are thinking by the looks on your faces, because it ain't good. But whatever's going through your brain right now, don't look at the man, please. Please. I go through these things. You want to hear a story right now? Not even my own family knows about this one. I got two emails in the last week from an old friend of mine that's a well-established vice president at a high-tech company. Want to come to work? Want to come make buku bucks again? Travel the world? Do your thing. I'll vouch for you. You don't think I have temptations, my friends? You know, I was tempted to go, hey, why don't I go make, why don't I do this thing? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. why don't I do this thing? Yeah, I'm going back in. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Right, and I got some bling, I'll get some bling. I got better ties, right? I got a really nice rug. It won't be acrylic, though, either. It'll be real. <laughs> That's a true story. Got the latest one right before class. How's that sound? Maybe I should just split. Maybe I should change my scale of values back. Maybe I should do what a lot of people do. Maybe I should. Thought about it. Why not? Why shouldn't I do that thing? Why shouldn't I partake in the prosperity of this great country? Now everybody's like, what, 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 what? No, we can do it, but you can't. No, I can live a double life, a dipsukos, but you can't. Come on. You can't do that thing. Why not? Why can't I be a jackass, a self-absorbed jackass? Why can't I? I'm not saying I would be. Maybe there's come a day when I'd have to do that. Do you ever think about that? 
might come a day when I have to do that. I'm just saying. So you're not the only person that's confronted with this reality. I speak from personal, real experience. And the temptations are exceptionally great in this world. I get it. I'm not some schmuck. I get it. I also get that we're out of time. Well, I guess we're going to have to get to 1 Timothy 6.6 next time. For more joy, tune in next Thursday. This, listen, I'm going to say a couple of personal things. It's not personal, just general things. This is fantastic. You are being blessed. Now, if you have a problem with anything that's coming from the pulpit, shame on you. Shame on you. Truth be told. This is gold refined by fire. This is gold. These are pearls. Not everybody can handle them. If you can't, take a hike. You just lost another person this week, so what's the big deal? What's another? I don't mean that personally. Oh, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Not everybody can handle it. I get it. I'm not saying that's why the person left, so I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. I'm being feisty. Just waiting for my next heart palpitation to spring up. <laughs> These are pearls. Amen? So please accept them. Please. And do not look at the man behind the pulpit. Even that last thing I shared, that's really not your business, but obviously you wanted me to share it with you. Maybe so you realize that you're not the only person who's tempted with such things. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.